0: Welcome to Politics Done Right. My name is Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being here today. We have a very, very, very special guest. In the house with us is the one and only founder of Code pink code pink Madie benjamin she's with us she's now the or she is the author of is peace possible in ukraine and also this morning i got up and reading uh reading common dreams found an article blazing with the kind of info we need about ukraine called uh called the eight steps what is it called again? What is it? Start? Where where am I? Where am I? It's called the eight. Well, I, I'll tell you what. I'll let her talk about it. But my dear Benjamin, welcome to Politics right. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. I think you're referring to the eight reasons why now is a good time to uh, call for negotiations in Ukraine. Absolutely. Um, but it's, yeah. Anytime is a good time.
0: You know, I, I woke up this morning and that's one of the first places I normally check. And I checked on it and it's like there. But anyway, great to have you on Politics Done Right. Madea, I think the last time I saw you was in Wisconsin at the Democracy Convention. Uh, how's it been since then?
1: Well, it's uh, um, one would have hoped that we would have been in a time of peace after the U.S. got out of Afghanistan. Um, but it looks like there's always another war to follow one more that ends. Well, and, uh, so here we are.
0: You know how that is. Well, in the house with us is Joe Marcinskowski, who was generous enough to get us all uh, connected for all that we're going to be doing over this. The stint that you're going to be placing here in Harris County, the Houston area. So, Joe, welcome to Politics Done Right as well.
2: It's wonderful to be here. I'm with the Houston Peace and Justice Center. I'm the chair of the military foreign policy uh, work group. Uh and one of the things uh, we did was co found the uh, Foreign Policy Alliance here in Houston. And those two groups, Houston Peace and Justice and the Foreign Policy, are uh, promoting this uh, effort today. And we're really excited about having uh, Medea in for this extended weekend. Good to see you. It's been a while since I've seen you. It was the left forum in Brooklyn just before the COVID. Uh, how you doing, Medea?
1: good it's nice getting out again and seeing friends and uh uh talking about such important issues and seeing what people are doing in different areas of the country and how we could build up more opposition to this uh Blank check for endless war.
0: Well, look, it, it's it's great having you here. Now, Madia, I have a uh, before we go into I want to start discuss your article, because I think that article presented something that is timely and something that we need to get into. But beforehand, I want to talk a little bit about your book. Uh, give us sort of the genesis of it. Why did you write it? Why did you give it the title that you gave it, especially in these times?
1: We uh, my co-author and I had been writing about Ukraine before the war began, uh, we really didn't think that there was going to be an invasion. And when it did happen, we realized that uh, this might be something that could go on for quite a long time and that the American people need to understand the context of this war. And we knew it was going to be a very complicated one for people to uh, wrap their heads around and figure out that there were two wars going on, one in which the uh, Russians were the aggressor and went into another sovereign country, and another geopolitical war in which the U.S. was laying the groundwork for this to happen. And the reason we called it a senseless war is because it could have been stopped so many different times, including right up the month before the war started, when the Russians put out a peace plan and tried to negotiate. Uh, But the U.S. and NATO totally dismissed their uh, calls for negotiations. So this is a war foretold many years ago. As we lay out in the book, there are so many times since 1991 and the dissolution of the Soviet Union that uh, academics and diplomats and uh, uh, others kept saying, you know, bad move, expansion of NATO, this is not going to be good, Russia's going to be stuck in a... Bad position. They're calling it a red line. They're going to retaliate, and here we are.
0: Well, uh, you you use you use two delineations right there. First, an invasion. And second, a provocation. Why don't you expand on that? Because I think if you one listens to just the narrative that we hear in the United States, we have the glory, glory, hallelujah, the folks who want and love democracy and uh, an evil empire that's coming in to invade. You're saying it's, it's a lot more. There is a lot more that one needs to go into before just making that simplistic assessment. So why don't you expand on those two that, that you actually just brought up?
1: Well, that's right, because you hear from the Biden administration and from the mainstream media these two words constantly, unjustified and unprovoked. And we say, you know, hold on a minute. This was certainly provoked and it certainly is unjustified uh, in that invading Ukraine was not the way to deal with it. But we've been provoking Russia for a long time now. And I mentioned the 1991, which was the dissolution of the Soviet Union, and there are many people who still deny that the U.S. actually made an agreement uh, with Russia that we would not expand NATO eastward. And yet, there's so many documents saying uh, that this was was indeed the case. uh, That it was very clear that Secretary James Baker talked to Gorbachev, but not only uh, Baker. There were many other officials who did as well. Uh, making that same kind of pledge, and yet when you see the kind of expansion that took place over the years and how Russia was basically surrounded uh, by NATO countries, um, we say that that definitely was a tremendous provocation, especially since NATO is not something we also hear in the mainstream media, a defensive alliance, it's an aggressive military alliance, Uh, And this was uh, proven by the fact that NATO has gone all over the world, very far from the North Atlantic, uh, to invade and uh, and bomb other countries. So there was great reason why uh, Russia was very upset with NATO for this expansion and felt threatened by it.
0: Yeah, um, Joe. Well, let, let me ask let me ask you this um, um Marie, because most of the people that are listening to what you have to say would look at that as my god you're speaking up against democracy you're speaking up about by, by making a statement like that you're almost justifying that Russia had some real or legitimate reason to go into uh, to Ukraine I don't think that's what you're saying I think what you're what what you're saying is that uh, geopolitically speaking and that's what you mentioned when you first started Started, is that geopolitically speaking, one has to take into account positions of power. One has to take into account borders of power. So please expand on that.
1: Yes, absolutely. I keep saying it's unjustified, unjustified. It's brutal. It's inhumane. It's illegal. The, uh, it, it, the invasion is horrific and the Ukrainian people every day are suffering the consequences. Uh, but it's important to understand the context because then that, that is the only way we can look towards what are the solutions. And uh, putting it in the context also has to be the fact that the U.S. was so heavily involved in the internal affairs of Ukraine when there was a spontaneous democratic uprising in 2014 that turned violent uh, and resulted in the overthrow of a, yes, corrupt, but yes, elected government turning a government from one that was Uh, pro-Russia to one that was pro-West, the U.S. was heavily involved in that. And we have the proof of it from a, a leaked phone conversation that the Assistant Secretary of State, Victoria Nuland, was actually plotting who would be the next leader of Ukraine. And then the following years, we have the U.S. and NATO pouring weapons into that country, training the military. Uh, and uh, so that context is important. You know, nobody wants uh, interference in the internal affairs of, of another country. And uh, certainly uh, the U.S. has been doing it all over the world. But Ukraine is one example where right on Russ, Russia's border, you have the U.S. so heavily involved uh, that it really uh, decides, who is going to be the leader of Ukraine? I don't think you can deny um, the U.S. interference.
0: Madia is going to be in town. Madia, you're going to be in town several days, given uh, given your talk throughout Houston. So we're going, uh, Joe is going to tell us about how they can come I'm see right. you.
2: Tomorrow, December 3rd at 7 p.m., she'll be at the Houston Mennonite Church on Worth Road. On Sunday, she'll be at First UU Church on Fannin from 2 to 4. Monday, she'll be at the Bay Area UU Church uh, on El Camino Real down in Clear Lake from 7 to 9. And on Tuesday, she'll be at... uh, Lone Star College up in Kingwood, be presenting to a live audience there, and it's going to be live streamed by Alberto here to the other six campuses, and uh, Pex Christie, Texas will be on, on the feed too.
0: Absolutely. So, so, my dear you have a busy schedule when you uh, come here to Houston. I, I hope you're uh, eating your Wheaties.
1: Well, you know, it's energizing after writing the book and being able to get out on the road and talk to people about it. Uh, that's why we wrote the book. We certainly didn't write it to make any money because you don't make money from these books. Uh, what you do is really educate people. And a time when people are so confused and uh, having a difficult time wrapping their head around uh, what's the best thing, uh, how can we avoid a nuclear war, how can we avoid uh, a, a larger war, and how can we stop uh, the brutality that's going on now, uh, it is so important to get out and talk to people and uh, brainstorm together, What are the ways that we can affect change? How can we put pressure on elected officials? Where do things stand with the Democrat and Republican Party? What's going to happen when this next round of $37 billion is going to be voted on in Congress? So there's a lot of things to talk about.
0: Now, before I, I really want to kind of go into the guts of that article that you wrote wrote for Common Dreams. Before that, I want to invite other people to come in, uh, if they want to. This is a subject. I mean, it's funny that you just said, ah, oh, you know, I write books to really inform, but I don't really write books to make a lot of money because, especially in political books and this sort of a stuff, Madea, it is difficult as hell. You have to be out there, but I, I, I get it. Um, let's let's talk about uh, the the. I think it was the uh, uh, overthrow that occurred in Joe. When, what year was the overthrow? 2000, 2014, 2014, in February. Right. What was the genesis of that? Because I think one of the leads, one of the, uh, tenets that you're saying <laughs> is that United States involvement, uh, the, the, the bulk of the in, in United States involvement culminated with that overthrow. And did you want to add something to that Joe or, <laughs>
2: Well, uh, basically, the U.S. was heavily involved in uh, funding the overthrow of uh, uh, the Ukraine government. Uh, y- 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 Yurchenko was a uh, corrupt, but uh, he was uh, elected uh, a president of the country, and he. Uh, Try to make cut a deal with uh, Europe uh, where he would get similar treatment uh, to what the Russians were offering, and, and the deal wasn't good enough. So he went back and made a deal with the Russians, and that. That freaked out the U- Ukrainians and the United States, yes. And we helped uh, overthrow that. You know, there's a telephone conversation between Victoria Nuland speaking to the right. U.S. ambassador, describing who she wants to put in there. And when uh, the, the ambassador says, well, hey, the EU doesn't want that, she says, well, tell the EU to go F themselves. And uh, that that type of involvement that we do in, in in these countries is it's horrendous it's it does nothing but destroy any hope for uh redemption uh, in these situations and we keep funding it she had five million dollars at hand that she bragged about and it, it goes on and goes on and you know medea just brought up uh the thirty-seven uh, billion dollars what does that bring a hundred billion dollars And what's that for? We're feeding oligarchs in this country that run military industrial complexes. That's what it's all about.
0: What's your thoughts on that, Medea?
1: Well, yes. You know, I I like to think of uh, Victoria Nuland as she's outside with the protesters giving out sandwiches and uh, cookies and think, what if on January 6th, when the right wing Republicans were trying to storm the Congress, And overthrow our government. There was a Russian diplomat that went out there to hand out some goodies to people and say, "Yeah, go get them, overthrow the government." I mean, it's just inconceivable that that would happen here in the U.S. But the U.S. does that and did that. Uh, And so, yes, um, it is so important that people understand uh, the extent, which we really don't know. You know, these. The um, uh, U.S. has been involved in coups all over the world, and it takes us many years after the fact to get the information about what was how, how involved the U.S. We have to do these Freedom of Information Act requests. But finally, when it comes out, uh, we see the in intimate um, use of the funds that Joe just talked about, uh, how it's given to different groups, creating new groups, uh, manipulating peaceful protests. And that's precisely what happened in the case of Ukraine.
0: Absolutely. So on on the Internet, uh, Bridge asked just now or giving us some news. She says, lie. Putin refuses to negotiate with U.S. on ending war. Russia's president Vladimir Putin has again reduced uh, refused to negotiate with U.S. on ending the war in Ukraine. Mr. Putin is open to talks on a possible settlement in Ukraine, but the West must accept Moscow's demand. The Kremlin said on Friday, the Kremlin's response comes a day after U.S. president Joe Biden has said... He is ready to speak with Mr. Putin if the Russian president is interested in ending the war with Ukraine as he sought to alleviate European anger over U.S. subsidies. As somebody who wrote, is peace possible in Ukraine? What's your thought on that that just hit the wire a few minutes ago?
1: Well, I don't think um, there is – if if Biden wants to talk to Putin, he would have been talking to Putin, and he would talk to Putin. Uh, He has said with many conditions, including that he uh, won't uh, – that Ukraine has to be uh, agreeable to it, that NATO has to be agreeable to it, and that Russia has to say uh, we're ready to end this war. I say that um, they should be talking to each other. They should have been talking to each other a long time ago. Um, that we are uh, calling on our, our president to talk to Putin, um, that we are calling on our secretary of state to talk to his counterpart in Russia. Uh, and we want to see it happen. Um, we don't want them to be going back and forth saying, you know, how are we going to stop this war from expanding? Uh, because, well, that is absolutely critical. Um, The real critical issue is um, how do we stop the fighting right now? Because we saw that missile that went into Poland and killed two people. And there was all kinds of uh, 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 reports, including the AP wire service that said it came from Russia. And this was uh, potentially the beginning of a third world war. Uh, Luckily, the Polish uh, head of state said no. It did not come from Russia. It came from Ukraine, uh, and so a crisis at that moment was averted. But that's just one potential uh, uh, errant missile, and there will be more. And maybe one will come from Russia. So we have to recognize how dangerous this situation is. How it's um, uh, it's a more dangerous situation than the time of the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. Exactly, and. And that we have to um, recognize that uh, uh, just talking about talks is not good enough. We want real talk.
0: Uh, Joe, why don't you tell us again uh, where people can uh, come visit Medier as she gives her talks throughout Houston, the several days that we're going to be here.
2: Okay, tomorrow, Houston Mennonite Church, 7 p.m. at 1231 Worth Road, Sunday. On Fannin, the first UU church will be at two to four Monday, Clear Lake area, Bay Area UU Church from seven p.m. to nine p.m. and. You can go up to Lone Star College or just get on a feed. Uh, Alberto's offering the feed, and it'll be available to you to get onto. It's a YouTube feed, isn't it?
0: It's a YouTube feed. feed. If I can tell them the URL, if you go to politicsdoneright.com slash medier, politicsdoneright.com slash medier. Medier spells M-E-D-E-A. So it's politicsdoneright.com slash M-E-D-E-A. You will be able to go ahead and watch the live stream on, it's on Tuesday at 1230 Central, correct? Did I get that right? Yes. Tuesday at 1230 Central. So, Maria, you're, you're going to be doing, you know, the great thing about having you in town putting this message out there is just like you said, the mainstream media has a narrative and everybody picks up on that narrative. And, and it's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy that occurs uh, when, when we have it this way. The same thing that occurred. I don't know if you will. Of course, you remember the Iraq war, et cetera. We create we constantly create these narratives and it's then generally hard to get it out of the psyche of people. Your thoughts?
1: well my thoughts are that what the narrative is is that uh, this is a winnable war by the ukrainians and that if we just send them enough weapons uh, enough uh, money that they will be able to take back every inch of territory uh, that russia has claimed in the Donbas and crimea while the people in our own pentagon Who I must say are used to losing wars because they've been doing that for quite a while. (laughs) They are saying this is not a winnable war. Uh, They can't win on the battlefield and they should, as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff has said, Seize the moment and go from the battlefield to the negotiating table. So if the people in the Pentagon understand this, um, that should trickle down or up which or sideways uh, to the people in the White House and to our Secretary of State.
0: Well, interestingly, the European Union, they uh, have a much more negative assessment as far as whether uh, one can uh, win the war, whether Ukraine can win the war. I mean, just the math alone tells you otherwise. Right. I mean, uh, Russia doesn't have to have highly technical equipment to really keep uh ukraine in in trouble but anyway let's go ahead and talk a little bit about your paper because i found the paper fascinating you had these eight reasons why we should go to uh for peace the first one is uh you want you want to you want to read that first the first t- topic uh, joe
2: the first the most urgent reason is the incredible daily date debts and suffering in ukraine and a chance to save millions more Ukraines from being forced to leave their homes their belongings and the cons- uh, conscripted men f- uh, folk that may never we may never see again tell us about that
1: well, I think number one in all of this is what's happening to the Ukrainians. And they're being killed, they're being forced to flee their homes, and uh, about 10 million of them, which is a third of the population, are now facing winter without adequate electricity, energy, uh, water, and uh, this is misery, and it must be stopped. And I think uh, those who say that uh, talking to Putin is um, going against the best interests of the Ukrainians long because they're the ones suffering from this.
0: And you know, interestingly, my dear, the other the other issue is what it has done to the school cycle and all of that. It, it, it just simply uh, takes away uh, years from. Uh, it, it's going to be a year from the the, the developmental stages of these kids, uh, and, and much more, and much more. What's the second one that?
2: Uh, Neither side can achieve a decisive military victory. And with its recent military gains, Ukraine is in a good negotiating position. Your thoughts.
1: uh i'm sorry i
0: um that's right the item two is neither side can achieve a decisive military victory and with its recent military gains ukraine is in a good negotiating position which is what you what what you claim i think also in your book
1: well right that um you know it, it it's quite remarkable that ukraine has been able to push back on so many fronts uh but Russia still controls 20 percent of the territory, and uh, they have fortified their areas along the Donbas, and they have tremendous strength in Crimea as well. And let's also um, let the uh, audience understand, your listeners understand, um, that Crimea, which is a contested uh, area, has been under Russia control for 200 years, in fact, longer than it's been under Ukrainian control. So there are a lot of people inside Crimea that identify with Russia that are Russian speakers uh, and that want to be part of Russia. So um, it's not rational to say that every inch will be returned to Ukraine and that it can be done on the battlefield
2: next one. U.S. government officials, especially in the Republican Party, are starting to balk at the prospects of continuing this enormous level of military and economic sport. You know, we talked about $100 billion a few minutes ago, but only about 30% of the weapons are actually getting into the hands of the Ukrainians. There's a tremendous black market out there. There's a real good article in Yukonska Pravda. Uh, uh, it's a Ukrainian uh, media group talking about the um, Monaco Battalion. These are oligarchs living in Monaco on the Cote de Diaz where they're living in on yachts and big, beautiful homes, and they're getting fantastic amount of money coming in from these uh, black markets that are going through there. So, as taxpayers, we got to be upset about this. Go ahead, Medea, why don't you add to that, please?
1: Well, yes, we've already sent. Uh, there was one tranche of money that was $40 billion. There was another that was $13 billion. Uh, there's now $37 billion that's being asked for uh, with no end in sight. Yeah. And as Joe said, um we don't know where so many of these weapons are going when there are some Republicans who have asked for a inspector general to be set up to uh, monitor where these weapons are going and have some auditing. Uh, the White House didn't want to do that. Uh, we know in the past, when we have sent weapons and flooded places like Afghanistan and Iraq uh, with weapons, what we got was al-Qaeda and ISIS. Uh, and we have no idea who is buying weapons on the black market. So there has to be uh, an outcry. And so far, that outcry is only coming from a small group of Republicans, uh, but not from any of the Democrats.
2: Yeah. Medea, when you said we don't know who's buying things, when these HIMARS, the the missiles that are so precious to us, were sent over there, one of the first HIMARS was bought on the black market by the Russians for $150,000. So they had wow. our weaponry before uh, the Ukrainians had it.
0: Yeah, it, it yeah. is. It is amazing. Now, uh, Medea, the, the the fourth item you're talking about, the war is causing upheavals in Europe, which is which is true. Um, there's one piece of that article that I, I, I kind of said, you know, the only thing that I wanted to add to that number four part that you did was that we should uh, we, we, we shouldn't give the corporations a pass with just using Ukraine as one of the sole causes of inflation. Um, I, I saw that in the article and I said, ah, she's right. But but God, please don't give those corporations a break. Your thoughts on number four that said uh, the war is causing upheavals in uh, in Europe, including that of an inflation.
1: Well, yes, uh, the Europeans are really suffering from the sanctions that their own governments have imposed on Russia. And while Russia is still getting a lot of money in from selling its energy to other countries, um, the. Uh, Europeans who are relying on the energy from Russia are having to buy it from other sources, including from the United States at four or five times the price that um, the Americans are paying. And so Russians are speaking out and saying the U.S. is profiting from this war. The dirty energy companies in the U.S. are trying to fill the vacuum from the uh, uh, Russian energy uh, and they're also, the Europeans, uh, complaining that the U.S. is profiting from the increased amount of money that the European countries are now spending on the military because a lot of that money is just going back to U.S. weapons manufacturers. And then in terms of the Russian population, they're bearing the brunt of this. And we see big demonstrations that are happening in a number of different countries where people are going out of the streets and uh they're saying that uh the the cost of our uh of heating our homes is beyond our reach at this point the cost in the grocery stores um and yet here we are giving all this money to ukraine uh and imposing these sanctions that are hurting us so it's affecting politically the countries in europe uh in and affecting the the people of course in a very negative way
2: you know, now, let me let me, me just uh, correct you there. You, you said the Russian people. I think you were talking about the uh, EU people, the people in uh, Europe sorry, are, yeah. are suffering. And uh, one other thing is that uh, when we passed that inflation bill a while ago, we had lot, lots of money to enhance uh, us bringing in European industries in, in, into the United States. And a lot of them, because they don't have uh, cheap energy anymore, are moving their operations over you have battery companies car uh, industries and this is killing uh uh germany germany is is dead unless they do something and i well, know not right, that's another thing
1: they're they're complaining so much about is you're you're taking uh, companies that uh, have been providing jobs for us in Europe and enticing them to come to the United States because of low energy prices.
0: Exactly. Uh, Madier, uh, we, we have about three more minutes altogether. What would you like? Th- how would you like to frame what Americans need to know to make this a better, to make this a better uh a better situation, if you will.
1: They need to know that the uh, message that is coming from Congress and from certain parts of the White House uh, are putting us in the situation of funding another unwinnable war that is not in the interest of the American people and that our representatives are not representing us. And so we need to organize more, whether we call ourselves left, right, Republican, Democrat, independent, libertarian, whatever, uh, and get our voices heard uh, by those who control the purse strings and and have the power in this country uh, so that they really reflect Uh, not only our needs, but what's in the best interest of the entire region of Ukraine, of, of Europe, and to the world, because as long as we keep spending hundreds of billions of dollars on weapons and war and close to a trillion dollars on the Pentagon, we will not have enough money to address either the needs at home, like healthcare and uh, a good education system that is, uh, doesn't put our young people in debt, um, or uh, dealing with the climate crisis that really is the existential threat for humanity. Yes. The, the name of the book I just wanted to clarify is war in the Ukraine making sense of a senseless war and I'm really looking forward to being in the Houston area uh, to have the kind of discussions that we've just had now which are very rich and important uh, and uh, to get beyond the mainstream, uh, narrative. Uh, the kind of discussion we've had here is something that you won't hear on CNN, MSNBC, or Fox News. Uh, so thank you much for for this radio station, uh, and please come out and let's keep the discussion going and figure out ways that we can uh, be a, a a positive force in trying to end this war.
0: My dear, it's been my pleasure to have you on air with us at Politics. And right now, let me ask Joe to give you a bye-bye. Go ahead, Joe.
2: All right, my dear. We're looking forward to seeing you. I do need the times that you're going to be flying in Uh, to be sure to pick you up. I haven't heard that yet. It's scaring me. But uh, Saturday, you're going to be at the Houston Mennonite Church from uh, 7 till 9. Sunday, you're going to be at the First uh, UU Church in uh, 5200 Fadden Street from 2 to 4. Uh, Monday, you'll be at the Bay Area UU Church uh, from 7 to 9 p.m. And Tuesday, well, You'll be uh, at Kingwood College from 12.30 to 2.30, speaking on a live stream that Liberto's uh, set up on YouTube. And I guess if it's on YouTube, we'll be able to see that for indefinitely.
0: Around the world, and we'll keep it indefinitely. We'll clean it up, of course, and make sure it's all there. Madhier, it's been our pleasure to have you here at KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. You have a wonderful day, and we can't wait to see you in person.
1: Okay, thanks so much for having me on. Look forward to being there. Absolutely.